Greetings everyone, Andy Jukes here again. If you want to learn how to drive or ride at the limit, then you better talk to KK Wong. He's a certified BMW Motorrad, BMW M and Mini instructor and one of the best car drifters I know. He's also a product trainer who knows the brand inside out, so he's your go-to guy on all the latest models, M1000 RR included. He's also ridden BMW bikes extensively in Asia, Europe and the USA, so it's always interesting to hear his perspective on overland travel and places to visit. Tell you what, let's take a ride to Kuala Lumpur right now and catch up with the man himself. KK, welcome to Ride and Talk. Great to have you on the line from Malaysia, my friend. Hey, thank you, Andy. Nice to see you too, mate. So tell us a little bit about what you do for the BMW Group then, because it sounds to me like a dream job. Uh, well, I'm still living my dream. Uh, a bit of a history. So uh, it started as a passion uh, in 2007. So I was the uh, president of the car club in Malaysia, and then there was an advertisement looking for trainers. And I said, why not just give it a shot, right? And um, went in, went through a few rounds. I was selected to undergo two weeks of training uh, with the chief driving instructor from Munich, uh, Klaus Heimel. And then the rest is history. I became a certified BMW trainer. Uh, and then in 2010, I went to Salzburg Ring in Munich, uh, in Austria. And I undergo uh, eight days of training and became a, a M certified driving instructor. And then in 2011, I got the uh, riding bug and I started riding and then I said, well, I think the best way to, to learn the art of riding is from BMW. So in 2014, I went to Maisak in uh, Munich and um, of course, and then I, I became a certified uh, rider trainer as well. So uh, I think it's just a career progression. In 2016, I started talking to, to BMW India and then I started to go into product and sales training and then I started to work together with uh, BMW Asia doing training all over Southeast Asia as well so that is where I am so uh, it's it has been an interesting journey like uh, what we always uh, say in BMW Motorrad make life a right too right so let's just touch on the car side first because I've seen videos of you drifting M2s M3s M4s M5s around various racetracks so where did you learn those skills were you a a bad boy street racer at some point or no actually to be to be honest uh, I have always been a very obedient uh, law-abiding citizen Uh, of course I've done uh, go-karts during my younger days Uh, always wanted to learn drifting and uh, we didn't actually I didn't actually get to do any drifting until I uh, became a BMW driving instructor because you get free cars, free tires. And uh, I said, I always wanted to do this, right? And what is the best way to do it? You know, you got the cars ready and you got the tires. So uh, I started practicing um, during the free, during free time, during lunch. I have the track in Sepang, the cars. So I, I just uh, watch a lot of videos on YouTube. Uh, how to how how to drift the car and how to be better. Of course, uh, there was some guidance from from uh, from Klaus. So uh, basically, you just need a lot of practice, a lot of driving time, and knowing what you need to do. So even before I I started to learn about drifting, I asked a lot of people. I said, "How do you drift the car?" So you get ten kind of different answers. Uh, very similar to when I started riding, you know, and uh, I was struggling to go around the corner. I was asking these guys, how do you go around the corner so quickly, so fast? Okay, bro, just twist the throttle. You'll be fine. 
and of course i i found out that's not the that's not the truth right so and that brings me to the point that uh you always need to find the right way of doing things whether it's driving whether it's writing the the right technique and then you practice on that and that's how you get better so yeah so drifting uh it's very simple actually but you need a lot of practice and then uh, that's how you can become better and then you just need to keep practicing and try to do different things try to increase the level of difficulty but it's not difficult you just need a lot of practice yeah absolutely yeah there's, there's no easy way to success is there now we don't normally chat about cars on the ride and talk podcast but these are m cars and they're something special and i remember tom sykes and eugene lafferty telling me last year or the year before just how blown away they were by the power of these things and and they ride factory superbikes for a living so just how good are some of the latest m models kk the cars actually have been uh, fantastic. I actually own an E46 M3. Uh, I had the E36 M3 prior to that. Uh, the, the M cars, what makes this car so special? It's, it's a very usable car, if you ask me. Uh, you can bring the car to a golf club. You can go to a shopping mall. And at the same time, you can bring these cars to a racetrack where you'll be no s- slower than our competitors. Uh, now, these cars are so powerful. Uh, a lot of torque and uh they are very quick off the line and and the latest m3 and m4 what is so surprising is the handling of the car it's uh especially the front end of the car they actually have spent a lot of time working on the front end and the car just turns into a corner and you can actually put a power down very early towards the exit of the corner so the m cars for me it's a it's a wonder in the sense that it's a car that can do everything uh, instead of just being very specific, very fast on the racetrack, or yeah, most of these cars are just very fast on a racetrack. But with the M car, you are fast on a racetrack, but you can also use it to go to a golf club, to go shopping, to bring your family out. So I think that's what makes an M car so special, if you ask me. Sounds like the only car you'll ever need. Now, you've done M taxi rides at various racetracks across the world. So what's the um what's the reaction of the passengers that you're taking with you that must actually make it all worthwhile and did you ever take any famous passengers as well uh okay the famous passenger i would leave that to the second part so uh the m taxi ride it's always uh something that we do at the end of the m driving experience it's uh basically to give all the participants or all the uh, M car enthusiasts a feel of what the car can do. Most of the times, to see the joy that we bring to these people to experience sitting on an M3, M4, M5 or M6 or even an M8 on a racetrack and the car going sideways. So there are, there are always two reactions. Either they are very quiet throughout the taxi ride and once you stop the car and that's where they scream, or they'll be screaming throughout the ride, <laughs> bursting their lungs, right? So only two, two, two reactions. And uh, for me, it's always a pleasure to, uh, to see the joy on their faces, yeah? to, to bring this joy to them. Okay, so, uh, so that's what we always do with the M Taxi Ride. It's always the highlight of the, uh, of the show. Now, the most famous person, I would say, okay, for Commonwealth countries is Sachin Tendulkar. Ah, world famous cricketer. Unbelievable. Unbelievable talent. He is super talented. Uh, I could share a story uh, uh, with uh, what, what happened with him. So, 
uh, we did the M3, M4 launch in 2016 in, in India at the Boot International Circuit, which is an F1 circuit. And uh, of course, Sachin is a brand ambassador for, for India. So he came over. So uh, it was his first time on the racetrack. And I was given the task to, to guide him through the racetrack, to teach him how to drive on the racetrack. So the, the first thing that, uh, that I always do is to explain to them what is understeer, because that is the most common thing. Everybody wants to charge into the corner, wants to go fast into the corner. But what happens after the apex, that's a different story. Yeah? Usually they will understeer out because they have gone in too fast into the corner. So I have to guide him through a walkie-talkie. I said, okay, Sachin, slow in, fast out. Fast in, never out. You remember that, Sachin? He said, okay, 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 okay. So I was driving him. So he was guaranteed for sure. He was understeering everywhere initially. So I said, Sachin, in order to go faster, you need to slow down the entry. So I said, okay, okay, okay. So the thing that amazed me about talented sportsmen, which I could see in, in Sachin, he was a very, very fast learner. He could just pick things up like that. So, so we did about five, six laps and I could see like, wow, he's getting faster and I need to pick up the pace, right? To keep him at, at bay, but not too far so that he could keep up. So he was able to pick it up just like that. And then uh, the control tower radio me is like, uh, okay, Wong, uh, we need to close the track. Uh, we need to get Sachin to the press people. So we need to wrap things up. So I said, okay. So I had two walkie talkies, right? So on the other walkie, I said, all right, Sachin, this is the last lap. After this, we'll do a cool down lap and we'll go back to the pit. And he said, okay, 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 okay. So I was in front of him after the last lap. So I went into the pit and he continued driving for the next 30 minutes. He just kept on driving. So I, I, I spoke to the president then uh, for, for BMW India, which was uh, Frank Schloder. Now he's back in Munich. So I said, Frank, uh, I was told Sachin got a flight to catch. Yeah, to go back to Mumbai from Delhi. I said, ah, Wong is okay. He's Sachin Taduka. He can do anything he wants. Right. So he kept on driving. And uh, he was so happy with the car, Sachin. He was totally, he was like, wow. He was driving an M4. Uh, he was so happy with the car. So after that, uh, we had some time. So uh, I gave him a taxi ride on the car. Right. Uh, I took out an M3, gave him a taxi ride. And uh, he was like, wow, he said, I need to learn how to drive like this, you know. So the highlight of my career is giving Sanchin Tatuka a taxi ride. And uh, whenever I'm in India, if I get into any trouble with the immigration, all I need to do is just to show a picture of me with Sanchin Tatuka. And it's like, I'm fine, yeah. Then you're fine, yeah. And even if he had a flight to catch, it wasn't as if he was holding a flight up. It was probably his own plane anyway, wasn't it? So... Uh... He could do what he likes and, and interesting that he was such a quick learner because, you know, for someone, a top sportsman who spends the, the whole of his life analysing his own performance and trying to get better, then that, that makes sense why they can pick other skills up quickly. But moving on to bikes, though, finally, after a long wait, we, we finally got a motorcycle with an M designation. So what were your thoughts when you first heard about or first saw the M1000 RR? Um, the bike to me is, is very special. The, the, the M1000R. Uh, the M1000R is all about the, the final details. Uh, just beats the carbon pieces, 
right here and over there just looking at the final details that's what separates the m thousand double r from the regular s thousand double r it's all about when you get to that level it's all about the fine details right uh of course we if we, if we talk just about performance uh uh, increase maybe it's just like maybe five ten percent right in, in in total whether it's downforce whether it's horsepower but sometimes that five or ten percent is what decides whether you win the race or not so that the m1000r is when uh bmw motorrad is looking into the fine details to make what is so far their best bike ever the m1000r yeah, I mean, it's an amazing bike straight out of the box, isn't it? And seriously competitive as well, I think. But same for, like you say, same for the S1000 RR, because these are bikes that certainly demand your full attention. Now, you mentioned you're a certified riding instructor. So do you believe that training is still the best investment you can make as a rider to improve your technique and increase your skills and ultimately get faster lap times? Absolutely. Um I get asked this question a lot of times, uh, and I could see it from my students, from my friends, when they buy a bike, what's the first thing they do? They will put in the full exhaust system, or <laughs> yeah. at least they will put in the sleep-on exhaust and Accra Pro Witch that will cost them maybe a thousand US dollars or yeah, maybe slightly more than that. If it's a full exhaust system, probably 2000 US dollars. Yeah, and then they'll put all the uh, performance parts on, on, the, on the bike. But those things, don't really make them go any faster for me the best upgrade is to upgrade the rider is to upgrade the rider your sitting position on the bike how are you going to roll the throttle right your line of vision when are you going to turn the bike in into the corner those things and this is the best upgrade is upgrading the rider not upgrading the bike that comes later you need to upgrade the rider and it costs a lot less than a, a full exhaust system, that's for sure. <laughs> much lesser, for sure. Much lesser. That, that, that's, that's the thing that baffles me, right? So once I explain to them, I say, try this and then tell me, is this the best upgrade? And of course, after that, they are totally sold. Uh, so that's, that's what we are trying to do uh, in this region in, in Asia to promote rider training because BMW loves our customers. We want to keep you guys safe so that you guys can continue buying bikes from us, right? But the, the more important thing is for you guys to enjoy riding and to know what the bike can do. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, as, as part of your own training program in the past years, you completed various race schools and BMW, as you say, it runs its own uh, versions of these. So do you, do you think these kind of events really allow you to appreciate the advanced engineering, the ergonomics, and of course, the performance of some of the BMW sports bikes currently on sale in dealers, you know, bikes like the Double R? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I think doing, uh, having these trainings, especially on a racetrack, I think that's a, a proper place to do it. Uh, very safe and that's where you can actually find the limit of your current riding skill i mean everybody has different limits so uh, this is the best way to learn how to ride faster i would say how to ride better because when you ride better automatically you become faster so so we have done this in india malaysia uh, even in vietnam and uh, without realizing it especially in india we, we did this in uh, 2018 uh, we have a bunch of, of riders and I could tell you one thing, these guys were definitely faster than me as a rider because these are like the local uh, national champions in, in different classes. They were definitely faster than me. 
right? Uh, but what I could share as a trainer, it's the final points of, of writing. Because a lot of these guys, uh, when they started writing, it's all by instinct. They, they had no proper coaching. Uh, it's just by instinct. They are very talented, but they, did, they didn't get proper coaching. So I, I just shared with them some drills, some pointers. And uh, as a trainer myself, uh, there is a lot of uh, happiness when I see that, well, when they tell me that at the end of the training session, like, wow, I just clocked my personal best on the racetrack. I'm like one to two seconds faster than, than my personal best prior to this. Which is really, really fast. A big improvement on a racetrack, isn't it? One to two seconds. Oh, that, that's massive. Yeah? So uh, for me as a trainer and the program itself by, by BMW Motorrad, so it, it's proven to work. And the best way to do it, of course, is on the racetrack. Yeah? It's not on the public roads. So you're a passionate and a knowledgeable guy, KK. So do you enjoy going to Europe, well, Munich specifically, as part of your training role to meet developers, designers, engineers, and learn lots about the bikes that are coming our way so that you can share that knowledge and passion with customers? Yeah, of course. Um, that's a trip I always look forward to every year. So uh, we have this trip called the PLT, Product Launch Training, uh, which usually happens around December or, or January. So that is when uh, we get to meet the developers, the engineers, the project, uh, the project team that actually developed the bike. And we could actually get insights into the bike, uh, why certain things are developed the way it is, right? And that is where, when I come back uh, to Malaysia or even to other countries where I'm doing this training, I could share this information with them, uh, which is normally not available on the internet. Okay, for example, why is the engine designed this way, for example? Uh, why the uh, S1000XR doesn't have shift cam, why the S1000XR have shift cam, right? So there, there, there are reasons for it. So this is where I'm able to disseminate information to the people, right, that needs to, to, to know, to our customers, to our enthusiasts, to, our, yeah, to people that, 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 that love our brand. So the part that uh, we get to meet the developers, the project team that developed the bike every year at the beginning of the year is kind of cool and also the opportunity to get read this to write these bikes before it's actually being launched so that is the the nicest part of it we first came into contact back in around 2011 i think when you'd bought uh, an F800 GS and taken a trip from your home across the border to Thailand and then on to Laos. From what I remember, um, we made, made a story on you at the time, this journey really gave you a new perspective on the possibilities of adventure riding, didn't it? Yeah. Um, so it was actually a challenge um, uh, from from a friend of mine, you know. Uh, so prior to the F800 GS, I, I have a K1300R, which I still have it. I love the bike absolutely to bits. So... Um, he said, you need to, to do, yeah, overland trips, you know, in order to be a good rider, you know. So I said, okay, what the heck? So I, I bought an F, F800GS because a friend of mine uh, has traveled around the world with it. I planned a trip to ride from home um, over two weeks from Malaysia over to Thailand, North Thailand, and then to Laos, back to Thailand, and then back to Malaysia. And that was one of the best trips I ever made. And of course, I've ridden in America, I've ridden in Europe. Uh, those trips were great as well. Uh, but uh, riding in Thailand and Laos uh, is a lot cheaper, but the experience is still the same. Um, you get to see things that uh, 
you, you wouldn't believe it, right? When you go up in the mountains, you get to see the, the hill tribe people. And we were lucky in the sense that uh, they were having some festival. They were all dressed up, the Hmong people. And um, yeah, when, 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 when they saw us with our big bikes, they were so happy and they just wanted to touch the bikes, ask us where we came from and, and, and stuff like that. And what I always like to do when I go to different countries is to experience the, the local delicacy. I will try anything, everything. You just have to be part of part of it, right? I mean, that's that's what experience is all about. And uh, if you guys haven't been to Laos, I would highly recommend you guys to go to Laos. It's such a beautiful country. A lot of mountains, uh, beautiful roads for, for riding, uh, very friendly people. It's, it's just an amazing country. Just that not many people have heard about it, but it's really great in, in, in Laos. Yeah, I I'd, uh, thoroughly agree with that. And uh, the people never stop smiling either when they when they see the bikes literally coming running out into the street, all the kids just to uh, yeah get really excited about motorcycling. And uh, of course, we share that excitement as well. So you live virtually on the equator in Kuala Lumpur. So what kind of rider clothing do you use back home in that heat? So for Malaysia, it's very simple. Uh, our weather forecast, I think it's just very simple to, do, to become a weather forecaster in Malaysia. So either it's raining or it's not raining half the time. Uh, I guess it's very similar in the UK. So the perfect riding gear in, in Malaysia or in tropical countries, uh, what I have, I have uh, the airflow suit, right? Uh, that is my go-to suit. And I think that is uh, one of the best suits that uh, BMW has made for, for this kind of uh, weather. The other one is the air vent. Uh, but I wear the uh, airflow most of the time because of the quality of the suit. Uh, I don't mind to say it. I have uh, fell off the bike twice uh, with the airflow suit. And the suit has remained intact. I didn't get any serious injuries. Uh, not, not even bruises or blue blacks, right? Uh, because of the Dynatech material on the suit, um, first incident was uh, it was no not not my fault actually. Uh, I was running up to Genting Highlands up in the mountains, and uh, there was diesel on the road. There was oil on the road, and I just lost my front, and the bike just slided through, and uh, I could see the diesel, and there was just like barely a scratch on the jacket. So I I swear by it, airflow jacket for tropical countries. So that is my go-to suit uh, in Malaysia, Airflow. In fact, when I was riding in America in 20, 2013, I was just using my Airflow suit, right? So these guys have all their rally suits and you name it, right? They look really good. I had my Airflow suit. But you know, we were riding in, uh, we were riding in North Carolina actually, uh, up Smoky Mountain. So. The weather changes in America, just like in the Alps, right? It could be wet, it could be cold, it could be warm suddenly. So I had my airflow suit. So when I was up in the mountain, all I need to do is just to put on the rain jacket on top of it, and I'm good to go. When I'm when I'm down on the descent, remove the rain jacket. Temperature is up to like 26, 28 degrees Celsius. Perfect. I love the airflow airflow jacket. For me, that is uh, what and and the material that they use. So I have a lot of uh, friends or even students asking me, it's like, why is the airflow suit so expensive? Right? They expect something, expect it to be cheaper. 
So I explained to them, you know, look at the protectors that they use on the shoulder, on the elbow, and the back protector, and look at the material. It's called Danatag. It's developed, you know, for this and for that. So even if you buy the uh, the airflow that is the black airflow, so you actually have uh, Dynaco technology that reflects, you know, sunlight. So it makes you makes it cooler for you to ride in that jacket even in 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 a hot uh, tropical country. So. For me, yeah, airflow is the suit to go for for Asia, man. Nothing else. Okay, so that so that's heat. But what's the coldest you've ever been on a bike, then? Uh, coldest up in the Alps, two thousand nine. So two thousand nine. So uh, as I mentioned to you earlier during our casual chat, uh, I'm the cl- uh, president of BNW Clubs Asia. So uh, of course. Uh, Every year we get this kind of meeting and we usually do a pre-council ride before the meeting. So in 2009, I actually went to Regensburg uh, in, in Germany. So we were given a choice to choose any bikes that you want to ride. So um, so prior to that trip, so I call up the, the local dealer, Otto Bauer, I, I call up the, the boss. I said, uh, could you loan me a 1200 GS? I said, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, because I don't know how to work on the signals, how, even how to start the bike and everything. Yeah, I'm not ashamed to say it, right? So, but but that's how it was. So I got the bike for a week. So I was riding around my house. Okay, first gear, press it down. Second gear, third gear, fourth gear, fifth gear, all the way to the back. Okay, and off I go to Regensburg. So uh, when I got there, so I had my uh, Doc Martens and I had a pair of jeans. When you when you didn't know any better, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. It was like all the wrong things that you're not supposed to do, right. So I'm sharing this experience. So the guys were all experienced riders from all over the world, and they saw I was wearing a pair of Doc Martens. Like, okay, Wong, you're not going riding with us with that with that shoes. You need. So it happens that we were at Regensburg. We were actually visiting uh, the plant at Regensburg where they were actually uh, assembling X cars back then. So uh, they had they had a, a shop there, a motorrad shop. Actually, it was more for the employees. So uh, I, I bought a pair of shoes, I bought a pair of pants, and I was good to go. So and I rode with this guys, right? My 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 first experience on the big bike, and they brought me up to the Alps. So from Munich, we went down south, we went up to the Alps. Now going up to the Alps is not that bad. It's actually beautiful, twisting corners, nice roads and everything. You see a lot of cows in the hills and stuff like that. But when it rains, it gets really cold. Very quickly. Very quickly. So now the problem is before I went for the trip, so I, I borrowed a pair of uh, a suit from uh, one of the local guys. So he gave me a, a set of Atlantis suit. So he said, bro, you may not be the fastest rider, but I make sure that you are the best looking rider. So Atlantis suit, you know, good stuff. But the problem is I'm about I'm about six feet and he's about five eight. So I couldn't zip the back. <laughs> and short on the arms and short on the legs. Yeah, short on the arms and short on the legs. So I couldn't zip the back, right? So when it rained, the water just got onto my back, down Straight to my down. rear end, down to you know what? And down to my foot. <laughs> <laughs> and I was frozen, mate. I mean, they said, I, I, I don't want to say it on your podcast, but literally the two nuts were frozen. 
Once that area gets cold, there's no way to get it warm again. Not while you're on the bike, anyway. No, because the BMW uh, handle, warmers, whatever, is only work on the handle. It doesn't work <laughs> anywhere else, right? So, uh, so whenever I stop at the, the rest area, I would change my socks and everything. Yeah, so to answer your question, so yeah, up in the Alps when it's raining and you don't have uh, proper riding gear. So I, I can't emphasize on that, actually. Whenever you ride, whether it's in a, a, a hot tropical country or whether it's in the States or whether it's in Europe, you always need to have the proper riding gear. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I think we've all made that kind of mistake in the past. Back to a hot place, though. You've spent quite a lot of time over in India, and I'm just interested to know how the market's developing over there for motorcycles now. The market for BMW Motorrad has grown tremendously in India over the last, I would say, three years. Uh, I've done uh, trainings for dealers before they were open, yeah, pre-opening trainings, and uh, I could see the growth uh, in India. It's a very challenging market, but BMW is, I would say, at the moment, correct me if I'm wrong, I think uh, in terms of uh, total sales for, for big motorcycles, I think uh, currently they are at uh, the number two spot. And uh, I, I have no doubt that eventually they will become uh, the number one brand, premium brand uh, in India. The potential in India is enormous because of of course, yeah, the, the population it, it's, uh, is enormous as well. And a lot of people are on, on, on bikes. Yeah, potential. That's a, that's a good description for sure. And uh, from my experiences, you know, I think some parts of Asia offer amazing opportunities, especially for adventure travel. So coming back to potential, do you think that Asia in, in general is an untapped market with a lot of potential for motorcycle tourism? Oh, wow. I think... Uh... I think that hits it on the spot. There are so many places in in uh, in, in Asia that I think uh, is not well known, especially to to the West. I would say even to the West. I say even to Malaysians, especially, or to even uh, to Singaporeans, right? Um, I can name you so many places, but I'll just say a few, right? So uh, you have been to the Jazz Trophy, for example, uh, not far from Malaysia, maybe uh, three hours flight from Malaysia is Chiang Mai. So that is the northern part of Thailand. Uh, you can do the loop. They call it the 1,860 corner loop. You can do it within two days. You can even do it within a day. But take your time, right? It's not about going around and doing the loop in the fastest time. But just to experience it, experience the culture. You will go through uh, villages where you have the people with the long neck tribe. Uh... You have all the uh, limestone cave. There's so many things to see yeah, doing that loop. Three days, two nights, short tour, perfect. Northern Chiang Mai. Uh, you can even take a detour, go to the Golden Triangle, which is not far away from that. Maybe three hours ride. Yeah, you can see uh, where is the Golden Triangle. Notorious in the 70s and 80s, but very peaceful right now. So that is in, uh, that's one of the popular uh, destinations for, for local riders. And then, of course, uh, you have Vietnam, right? Uh, Northern Vietnam, at the year end, you can actually get snow. Pusapu, uh, I think. Pusafa, that's the name of the place. So, beautiful roads in Vietnam going up to the mountains. Uh, I've mentioned Laos earlier in the, in the podcast. The entire country, it's beautiful. It's not too expensive. 
uh, to write in, in, in Laos and of course in uh, even in India all right uh, we are planning to do some some trips up to uh, Kashmir or they call it Le Ladakh up in the Himalayas right so uh, reputedly that is like one of the highest road that you can travel by motorcycle right up to about 18 19,000 feet above sea level yeah you, you, you start from you start from Chandigarh uh, probably the trip will take you about five days, three, five days, four nights, and you, you can't go up too fast because of the altitude, right? If you go up too fast, then you start to get oxygen deprivation and you start to hallucinate. Uh, so in Asia, there is so much to offer in terms of uh, riding opportunities. Uh, even in Malaysia, uh, we have the mountains, which is like an hour away from uh, Kuala Lumpur. Uh, we have one of the oldest tropical forests in the world on the other side of Malaysia, Borneo, for, uh, Borneo Island, which you can fly over there in two and a half, three hours, and we can get the bike sorted out for you. And you can start your journey yeah, to Barrio. Barrio is the, the name of the place. And you can ride through the tropical forest on road and off road. Different type of experience from what you're going to get in America and Europe. Totally different there. Yeah. I'm getting withdrawal symptoms now, just sort of thinking back in the past. I mean, yeah, I totally agree with what you said about Vietnam, Laos, Malaysia. Yeah, you know, Cameron Highlands, yeah, jungle, beach. You got it all there, really, haven't you? It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So, well, you're always welcome, Andy, to go up to go back to Borneo Island. We can always arrange a, a trip to go to Barrio. I think you will absolutely love it with the wildlife. Uh, just being back in the forest, I think uh, it's it's always so special. Just being back in the forest to breathe in all the fresh air and, and, and stuff like that, to see the wild animals, I think it's, it's fabulous, right? Got to be done. Just the thought of going anywhere at the moment gets you excited, doesn't it? So, listen, we, we all know you love your fast bikes and your fast cars, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the R18, because I presume you've ridden this big boy. Yeah, I've, I've, I've ridden the bike. Uh Wow, uh, it looks a huge bike, uh, but when you start riding it, it doesn't feel huge. Uh, it's actually quite nimble, maneuverable around corners, uh, quite a fun bike, a lot of uh, low-end torque, just like uh, what a, a, a Roadster should be. And it's, it's an eye-turner, right? So it's a bike that I, I would ride around town, uh, maybe a short excursion off the city. Because when I was riding it around town, Everybody was looking at it. It was definitely a head turner with the R18. I can tell you that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And as a petrol head, I'm also interested to get your thoughts on electric mobility and where you think we need to head in order to make that you know ine inevitable transition to e-bikes one day. Um, so we already have an e-bike uh, many years ago with a with a C Evolution. Uh, I've tried. And I, I love the bike absolutely yeah uh, with the with the C evolution the the acceleration of course is instantaneous and and, and stuff like that uh, riding capabilities or handling capabilities is no different from any of our bikes and uh, of course it's only meant for uh, urban mobility or riding in the city so I guess uh, the turning point would be for me it's when the bike will have a longer riding range that will make it more acceptable to to a lot of uh, the enthusiasts or the people that are interested to buy the bike because uh, we want to make these bikes to be able to to ride longer distances so they can you know 
uh, go for a, a short half day ride instead of just riding for about 120 or 150 kilometers. So I think that is a limitation for the time being. But for those that are looking just to ride an electric bike, we do have an electric bike ready, the C Evolution, and now we are coming with the, of course, with the with the new bike. Um, I've tried uh, even the electric car. Uh, for me, of course, uh, there, there, there's actually a very polarized view for the time being, right? So, of course, with electric car, the benefits you get is instantaneous acceleration, and yeah, you don't need to use a single drop of gasoline. You are being environmental friendly. But what you're missing, of course, is the sound of the engine and, you know, the, that stuff that you and me know, right? We are, we are more or less in the same uh, generation. Uh, but, of course, time will come to a point that uh, we need to be really mindful of the damage that we are doing to the environment, yeah? We need to maintain the environment for the next generation. So, we need to strike a balance and uh, that, is, that is crucial for the future. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think as long as the emotion's in there, then I'm all for it. I mean, I love the way that electric uh, vehicles perform. I've loved the, the sea evolution and I've loved the other things I've tried. I even love my e-mountain bike, you know, so uh, I'm all for it 100%. But it's it's all about the emotion. But I guess the thing is we need, you know, five or six different bikes in the garage to really satisfy our needs. But I've got a final question for you, KK. If you, I know you've got your K1300R and I know you, I think you've still got your F800. GS, but if you were allowed just two bikes in your garage, maybe an old timer and a modern one, which would they be and why? Wow, that's a tough question. I wish I can have more than two, right? Especially with being a bit more track. Uh, okay, the first bike that I would choose would be the, uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised with this answer. Uh, I would say it would be the 850 GS. Uh, somehow I like the, the 800 or the, 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 the 850. In a sense that if you do a lot of uh, long adventure rides, I, I like the off-road capabilities of the A50GS, especially with the 21-inch wheels in front. Uh, the bike is a little bit lighter. Um, you don't need the power of the 1250. So, so for me, the A50 is, is perfect for my needs, uh, for my type of riding, uh, to go off-road and a, bit, a little bit of uh, on-road. So that would be uh, my first choice. And uh, the second choice for me, if I want to go a little bit faster on my weekend rides with the guys, will be the S1000XR. XR. XR, yeah, the XR. I think, I think it has more than enough power to go crazy fast, uh, handles well, and I love that inline four engine. I think, you know, we used to go fast during our younger days, so we still have that in us. But now, you know, our backs are creaking, the hips are like hurting, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So we, we can't get into that sport bike riding position in the S1000RR. So we, we need something a little bit more relaxing, a little bit more upright. So, but we want to still to have the feel of the sports bike, right? So, uh, so for me, it would be the F850GS and the S1000XR. Yeah top choices respectable hooliganism absolutely well listen thanks for being our guest on ride and talk today kk i've I really enjoyed catching up again and hearing your stories take care mate thank you andy and uh it's a pleasure to to chat with you again yeah looking forward to the next one take care mate cheers kk always great to hear your stories and what an interesting life you lead 
really made me want to head across to Asia again and revisit some of those incredible destinations. Isn't it amazing what a world of opportunity a motorcycle can offer? But you have to take that opportunity, of course. Okay, that's it from me for now. Back soon with more exciting guests to hopefully inspire you to ride more, ride further and ride better. As ever, take care out there and keep the rubber side down. Bye for now.